Hello, friends, and welcome back after a way too long break. Sorry, after another way too long break, we are back. We are back in the RPG room. This is a podcast in which we discuss all sorts of things about role-playing games. As usual, I am Paco Garcia, your host, and I am with two of the most knowledgeable, most experienced and most reliable people in the industry but they couldn't make it today so instead i am with Ke- with vicky and jim <laughs> hello fantastic <laughs> i love you too yeah i'm here after that rousing introduction i'm here oh you, you got roused by that introduction i am roused doesn't take by, much yeah. does it why what did you hear what did you think i said doesn't take much that's what i'm gonna say hello vicky hello <laughs> how are you well, after that interaction, I'm just not sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't don't pay Jim any attention. He's just been silly. I feel like John Goodman on uh, Saturday Night Live. I'm just I get called onto the show because I'm reliable, not because I'm good. Well, we are not going to call you because you're handsome. <laughs> Let's see. I'm handsome. <laughs> no, that's what I wow. said. We are not going to call you because you're handsome. Oh right. Okay. Yeah. I, I was insulting yes. you. Good, good. That's go go for my face. That's always. Wait a minute, phrasing. <laughs> I was thinking more of your body, but never mind. <laughs> never mind. Anyway, 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 anyway. Um, Vicky, as usual, you are the one with the common sense in the team, and you came up with absolutely fantastic idea for this podcast. So why don't you once again take it away, make it yours and ours, and um, let let's let's kick this pig. I will say that this was actually not just my idea. This came about because of our last podcast. Uh, I talked about instigators, and Jim suggested, well, instigators aren't the only way to keep a game running. So, you know, really it's all, you know, it's Jim's fault. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll take the heat on this one. As usual. <laughs> but in all seriousness, I, it is a subject that I think is worth talking about to figure out how do we make games run smoothly. Uh, most of us, when we get together, uh, there's a little bit of chatting at the beginning that has nothing to do with gaming, whether it's because we're new to a group and we're meeting each other for the first time, perhaps at a RPG convention, uh, or you know, we're gathering together uh, after a hiatus, you know, whether it's you know, the week in between games or the month or two in between games, and we want to catch up on uh, non-game life uh, if, for no other reason than just out of cur- courtesy to each other. Uh, but then sometimes there are the interruptions that occur during a game, whether they have to do with real life or the game itself. And those are things that not everybody really has a, a plan for how do I deal with this or you know, if there are people who don't generally think about that in advance, and you know, I personally don't think about it in advance, sometimes we don't react in the moment as smoothly as we would like to, uh, and that's something we reflect on later and realize, hey, maybe I could have done this a different way. So the idea, I think, here is to share with our listeners different things that we think of about running a game and keeping it going smoothly and things they might be able to do as both game masters and players who are not game masters to actually ensure that the games do run smoothly. 
That's, that was a mouthful. Yes, it was. And I think, that, I mean, there are an awful lot of things that one can do to, to, to make the game run smoothly. But I think it's important to divide this between two, the, the, the two main um, participants in, in any given game or most given games. And one is what can the game master do to, to make the game run smoothly and what can the players do to make the game run smoothly because I think it's a, it's a team effort. Everybody has to play their part, um, pardon the pun, for um, making sure that, every, that the game runs smoothly. So let, let's divide this into... Um, let's start with the person in control. For games with a game master or, ver- or various games masters, what can the game master do to keep everything smooth? I want to start by saying that I think... Uh, two things need to be said before anything. One is, if you've got any kind of problem with anybody at the table, you need to not bring it up at the table. You, If you have a six-player game and two people are arguing, you are wasting four other people's time. Hmm. Um, True. If you've got any problem with that person or just something they've done, it doesn't even have to be a problem with them, just necessarily something that irked you or that took you out of the moment or that ruined your fun, talk about it after the game. Um, that's almost that's almost my number one rule about gaming. And two, the process of game mastering and getting good at it and becoming a better player and getting good at your role or or what it is that you think that you're supposed to be doing there. These this is an art form. It's not uh, there's no science behind it. Becoming better at what you do and learning through it is it, just something that's going to happen over time. There's tons of books out there that give all this advice, but until you start applying it and using it. It, it really is sort of this foreign talent that you have to develop, just like somebody learning to act for the first time or learning to make a sculpture for the first time. It's, it's an art form. I think before we get into the specifics of what can folks running a game do and what can folks playing a game do to make it run smoothly, let's think, think about what exactly does a smooth running game mean to us. Uh, Right, Jim, you just brought up a couple of good points. One thing that I feel a smooth running game uh, is characterized by is the lack of stopping the fun for someone else. And a, a case in point is the example that you had. If, if something's happening at the game table and it's between a couple of people and not the whole group, then, okay, that's very clearly not going to be the kind of thing that the other four people who at the six-person table are really excited to have to deal with if it's between just two other folks. So I think one of the things that we're talking about here is the interpersonal and communication of the players, whether GM or not, that being relevant uh, for this part of the subject, uh, that the actual people interact actions are things that as gamers that we need to manage at a table and then the other part of a smooth game to me is keeping the action going when we're actually playing when we are in character and it's not a matter of okay you've got some people who are disagreeing with each other but just a matter of uh, things like being stumped or people getting distracted with uh, out of game things like phones or text or you know just going off in the la-la land staring out the window. Uh, so I think that for me, a defining game is one that is free of distractions, whether between people having nothing 
and do with the game or actually as part of the game itself. What about you two? What do you think of as you know, what you would think would be a smooth running game? Um, for me, a smooth running game is a one that doesn't have any um, arguments that runs smoothly in in the sense of not stopping for uh, tangents that have nothing to do with with the game for arguments about rules that are essentially relevant to whether the game is is a good experience or not that that sort of things is what makes a smooth running game jim um i yeah i think I think that there's more more to it than that. I think a smooth running game is a game where it's not the game master's responsibility to do every single job at the table. I think a smooth running game, the players show up prepared or the players show up at least ready to play. I'm not pulling your teeth as the game master just to get you involved. Um, obviously, people can show up tired. That happens. People can show up distracted because they have problems at home. I get all that, right? But it's a hobby. It's a social hobby. It's a hobby that requires cooperation and people coming together and giving up a little bit of themselves for the betterment of the group. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of a, a lot of the best groups out there are ones that either have a camaraderie or some sort of bond that has kept them gaming for a long time or one where everybody at least respects each other's time and commitment. And if you're showing up to play and you're not only making it difficult for the game master by not getting into the groove of what's going on, but you're actively detracting, distracting from that or detracting from that or trying to sabotage that, you probably shouldn't be at the table. There are other hobbies for that kind of person. That's why World of Warcraft was invented, so those people can go ruin one another's time in a digital space rather than at a game table with six people. So a smooth-running game has everybody sort of cooperating to make sure that the even if the story them they don't like the story as it is where it is right in that moment they're still cooperating to make sure that it goes somewhere because they trust trust the game the game master he's going to take it somewhere yeah that, i think that's that was a mouthful Great. Done. so so what can we do to actually ensure that those conditions of smoothness take place and develop What what can everybody do, or what can the game master? Yeah, let's do? Let, let's begin to pinpoint um, little techniques and little things that people can actually do. You know, the game master can do in order to um, to make sure that that game is as smooth as possible. So for me, uh, because distractions are one of the things that I, I think in game can completely derail actual fun, but also sometimes serve to make some of that camaraderie more solidified that uh, Jim had mentioned. I think as a game master for me, I feel that it's helpful when I see that the the whole group is starting to have fun with something that may have nothing to do with the game. Maybe, you know, something happened because we were all gathering snacks or something. That have the patience to let it go so that it's people, you know, it's it's not dictatorial. but also realize where that fine line is where, okay, now everybody's off track and nobody's really paying attention and we're sort of out of the spirit and be able to get everyone's attention and bring them back into the game and do that in such a way that you're not coming off as the jerk that thinks that, oh, well, 
you know, this is a serious business playing this game. You know, you either do it my way or the highway. So for me, that's one of the things a game master can do is balance that interaction that's non-game or extraneous game with the actual getting involved in whatever it is that you're playing at the moment. I think that that do it my way or the highway mentality, that doesn't develop in a vacuum, right? That develops from years of game masters being sick of people ruining his planning. I've known game masters that will spend six hours prepping for a four-hour session. That's, I mean, that's dedication. It's overkill, but it's dedication. And have somebody ruin that fun with an argument or because they can't stop talking. I had a guy that used to come to the game table every week, and he wouldn't shut up about World of Warcraft. None of us played it. None of us cared. But that's all he wanted to talk about for the first hour before the game started. There were plenty of people he could have had that conversation with. And instead, he detracted from what we were doing. And I, I think that if you're going to come to the table, you're coming to the table to be with other people. You're not coming to the table for selfish reasons. And if you are, that is a, that's the first ingredient that should probably be telling you that going to go wrong. Not that you're doing it wrong, right? Because that's something that you can untrain yourself to do. But it's, some, it's the first ingredient that something is going to go wrong if you are just there for your own devices. So how did your group handle that? Did they step up and talk to that person? Or was that something that you know, oh, just Oh, this guy and I used to butt heads all the time. I mean... I just stopped gaming with him, right? That group imploded eventually, um, and I would talk with him every week about it. You know, we don't care. We don't play World of Warcraft. Shut up. Um, I was not nice about it, but I think you guys know that I'm pretty straightforward about most things. And the first couple times it was, hey, Jeff, come on. World of Warcraft, we don't care. But after three, four, five weeks of that, it was, dude, shut up. Um I yeah, think, and eventually, I mean, eventually he had to go find somewhere else to game. Um, I think it's quite important something. I mean, this is the, the psychotherapist talking a little bit here, but I think it's quite important to set up some sort of social contract with with the group to make sure that everybody is Absolutely. on on the same page. You know, into the, uh, for example, in, in in my group, we we have a once we start playing, we we are playing, so. We don't talk about anything that's not game-related. Uh, so we may be able to share some, oh, I did this in the game at some point, but that would be pretty much it. Um, we wouldn't answer the phone. We wouldn't be taking a look at Facebook or Google+, Plus or any right. other social network. Um, we wouldn't be without tablets. Um, we, we, would, we all understand that we have to concentrate on on the game and that's something that we specifically discussed and talked about and we rediscuss and re-talk about every time that we have a new player coming in to make sure that they understand what's what's I think that that I think that's a great example of a very immersive social contract. Everybody there wants that immersive experience. And so that contract may not work for every group, but the fact that you have one, that you have that agreement, most groups have an unspoken social contract. And I'm a huge fan of social contracts, right? I think that you should game with the people that you're like or at least the people that like the same things you like because otherwise you're going to – If I'm, I'm not going to enjoy gaming with somebody that thinks anime is the best form of literature ever created. 
I'm not going to enjoy playing with cosplayers. I'm not going to enjoy playing Shadowrun. So sitting down and doing those things, that's a horrible social contract for me to sign. So I totally agree with what you're saying. I, th- I think, but what your spe- the specificity of your contract may not be for everybody. Well, no, I mean, the, the specificity of my contract is because that's, that's the way that we have done it. But I think the point I'm trying to make is that some yeah. people, as you said, some people, there is an unspoken social contract. And I think it is very important to actually speak it, to talk it, to, to say it and say, what do you want from this group? You know, in, in my case, it's easy because the group that we have set up has been set up around the GM. You know, this is kind of his group. So he runs the game, we play them. And occasionally we will run some games when he is tired and needs a break. But usually he, because that's what he likes doing, he prefers to, to run rather than to play. So it is quite easy to set up a contract in which he's the gamer, so he's the GM, so we are going to listen to what he says. And he makes very clear that we understand what, how much work it's going into the game, so we appreciate that. And the point is that he actually tells us it is the matter of speaking to discussing and talking about that social contract that makes a massive, massive difference rather than leaving it as we know we're here to play, so we're going to play, so, but we're not going to talk about it. But does that make sense? It yeah. does, but it's it's interesting because with the, with the three of us, it's clear that we each have different social contracts with the groups that we enjoy gathering with. For me personally... Our group and other groups that I've been part of, the social contract was unspoken, just as Jim alluded to. Uh, we have had occasions to deal with people directly to tell them if something wasn't working, what that was and what they need to do about it. Uh, some very simplistic ones that we've had to deal with, there is a person who is part of our one of our groups and she had two things that we ended up having talked to her about. One of them was she would text throughout the game, back and forth, would text throughout the game. And we understand that on occasion you may have some sort of emergency, there may be something going on that you didn't realize was going to spill over into game time and you have to handle, but this wasn't that kind of thing. It was an ongoing disruption. It was an ongoing, okay, this is the sixth week in a row that their phone comes out at the table and there's this constant texting going on. It needs to stop. The other thing that we dealt with was she was a smoker. The rest of the group wasn't. So inside, wherever location we were meeting at, and she was unable to go the entire four hours without having to step away and go smoke. So... It was one thing where it's like, okay, one time during the game, maybe we take a five-minute break. We all get up and get snacks and do whatever else, stretch our legs, uh, and she goes out and smoke at that time. It was another when it was three or four times during the game and then coming back in smelling of smoke where, you know, personally, I'm allergic to it besides just really not being able to stand the smell of it. And other people who weren't allergic didn't want to smell it either. So that was a... Very, a very minor thing that we had to ask her, you know, could you try going without, or if you are going to do it, can you keep it brief, not do it so often, and please air out before you come back in. You know, if you want to smoke, that's your business, but please air out, because when you come back in and the rest of us who are not smokers are inhaling the scent, it's not pleasant. 
and it's not fun and it's distracting to the game. Personally, if I didn't take allergy medicine, which I only do when absolutely necessary, then I unwell, <laughs> which really distracts from me enjoying the game. So when the need arose, we handled it directly. But there had been no formal, hey, this is how we handle the game. This is what we expect from you. This is, you know, there was nothing formal like that. There wasn't even an informal conversation of that nature. It was, oh, this has come up, and now we need to talk to this person and let her know how we feel about it now that it's occurred. Which is fair enough. I mean, social contracts are meant to be dynamic things that change as, as need changes as well, and, and people discover things about people. So I, I think that's definitely the, the right thing to do, but at least you actually talked about it. I mean, I don't know what the outcome was of it, but it, it, it was some sort of variable um, transmission of, hey, this is what's going on, and this is what has to change. Yeah, and the, the outcome was that she recognized that, oh, okay, you know, I, I will, you know, I'll limit what I'm doing that's disruptive and I will work toward not doing it at all. Uh, eventually, it, eventually the person moved and was no longer part of our group. But before that happened, she had changed her behavior. And it wasn't a 180 turn, but it was certainly was, which was much closer to a 180 than nothing at all. That which is fair enough. That, that's fair enough indeed. Okay, so we, we've covered that the, we, we should have some sort of um, social contract and whether this is spoken of or unspoken it is something that has to be decided by the group and the GM as well. Now, on, on a more practical term, what can the GM do to keep the game running smoothly? For me, I think a, a lot of it comes down to playing to your strengths as a game master. Uh, if we're talking about the actual running of the game and not the interpersonal stuff, recognizing if you're someone who is good at impromptu games or if you're someone who really requires some preparation and working with the game within that capacity. Uh, I've, I've enjoyed playing games with people who can do everything completely off the cuff and I've had games where it was clear that the game master did not have the opportunity to prep as he normally would have. It was clear because when he had time to prep, things were great. And when he didn't have time to prep, it, we spent an inordinate amount of time sitting around the game waiting for the next thing to happen, waiting for uh, a passage to be uh, quickly studied and then presented to us. That cut down on the fun for sure it gave way to the opportunity for people to be distracted from the game because well what are you doing when the game master isn't interacting with you and, and, and there's nothing you know you can't you can't advance what you're doing because you're waiting for the game master to you know read through a passage in order to provide you what the next thing is you know an answer to your question or the next part of the uh, adventure for that night. So recognizing what kind of game master you are and being and taking the time to run with it, whether you're to GM or whether you're a I need to prep GM, that's definitely for me the thing that I've seen that makes the biggest difference in my level of enjoyment for a game. What about you, Jim? Um 
I, I, I like a lot of what you said, Vicky. I think there's a lot of different kinds of game masters. Not everybody needs to overly prep to get a game going. A lot of people, I like to think on my feet, right? I have very loose notes before a session, and I've run entire campaigns from, you know, a page of notes, and that's it. And I just keep winging it and winging it, and winging it. So long as I stay within my tone and the theme of the story that I'm telling, I think I can do just about anything. Um, but I don't. Right. Game master is like that, and so for me, keeping it moving under under those parameters, it's it's about being aware. It's about paying attention to how everybody's interacting. It's about there's so much intuition when you're being a game master. If you want to be a good game master, about knowing how much time everybody has spent in the spotlight, and spotlight is so important. And we could totally talk about that for half an hour. Um, knowing who's been in the spotlight and when, who's having fun, who's not, bobble that so i need to get a fast fight in here real quick for no apparent reason just to keep him entertained and so on and so forth and always being aware it always being aware of that and and kind of juggling those those parameters those pieces of the of the puzzle that's that's part of the job as being a game master it's one of the reasons why i think i enjoy gmless games so much nowadays is because that responsibility now gets spread out to four or five people as opposed to just being on one person's plate and we can still have the same kind of fun. Um, there, there's other things that you lose when you do jamless games, but I think, I think how you game determines a lot of what tools you can use to keep everybody going. And if you believe your job is to entertain, then you're probably going to be talking too much and dominating the spotlight too much as the game master. And if you think your job is to facilitate, then you're probably going to notice that you're sitting back a lot and letting the players discuss opportunities and options and argue a little bit. Um, should I keep going? Because I could talk a little bit about my – I wrote an adventure called King for a Day. I think you guys have – we've talked about it before. Yep. <laughs> and when I ran – when I ran it – And then we can um, see if – well, when I ran it, the last time I ran it for the group, the way they tended to play it is they would they would get one piece of information. And there was so much information. Paco knows this. He's read the book. Um, there's so much information in there that having just one piece of information isn't enough to make a decision. But they didn't know that. And so they would get a new piece of information, and then they would sit there and they would talk about that piece of information for an hour. And then 15 minutes later in the game, they'd get another piece of information. And so now everything's grinding to a halt every single time they get a piece of information. And I'm not in charge of how they move about and what they do, but three of the players were having a great time doing it and playing it that way, but one player wasn't. And so that player was spending his time on his little DS, PSP or DSD. What are those little game controllers called that you – I don't even know what they're called. I don't have one. DS3, I think, and he would just sit there and play his video game while we were, while everybody else was playing King for a Day. And I, I think as a game master, I probably should have put some parameters and put the kibosh on that. But when seventy-five percent of the table is enjoying that style of play, I think it's unfair for me to put a halt to it every single time. Does that make sense? Yes, I think it does. I think it does. It does. I'm curious. I'm curious the the person who was you know playing on their handheld game instead of uh, interacting with the rest of the folks that were enjoying that part so much, it, were were they okay with just playing the game or did they feel that 
they would have really preferred that the other part was a little bit truncated so he wasn't or she wasn't sitting there doing that so oh long. no he 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 definitely wanted the game he definitely wanted the game to move on and in fact there were many times during the campaign where his character would just up and leave while they were talking and so they could continue to talk and then i could run a little side thing for him the problem is is that he would then do something that caused problems lasting problems and so the uh-huh. half of it happened it was throwing a monkey wrench into the entire campaign for everybody uh, so uh, it was still a great campaign I'm not going to discount any of that and say we didn't have a good time we all had a good time and it it ended really really well but at the table like that who's impatient or and in this case he was younger than everybody else at the table right and i think when you have a generation gap you have people coming to the table with different expectations of what kind of story they want and what they want to be doing in the game and the three older players had no problem sitting down and digesting this information and now what does this mean and now what do we do give them what they want Maybe that's the moral of the story. Give them what they want. Well, I think there's a little bit. Well, of it sounds that. like you tried. Like yeah. you, gave three of what you, you gave the three that wanted to sell the opportunity to do that. You gave the one that wasn't really interested in, you know, talking for forty-five minutes about something each time a new piece was, you know, introduced, an opportunity to do something that it was of interest. And I, I think you were doing the best you could to give both segments what they wanted. And, and to be honest, I think unless what they want is something really, really bad, but giving the players what they want is not necessarily a bad thing in RPGs. It's, it's kind of what keeps the fun going as well. Sure, sure. I had a uh, I had a group of guys that wanted me to run a campaign for them, and they wanted it to be they wanted Pathfinder, which I don't know anything about, and I don't run, and they wanted it to be a world building campaign uh, where they would get to be in charge of a castle and they would get to you know go out and get resources to make it bigger and better and that sort of thing and I was happy to do that part of the campaign but I told them I said guys I'm not the GM to run Pathfinder for you this is a bad idea um, if you guys want to try a different <laughs> system great but I, I don't think I'm the guy and they they tried for a couple of sessions to play something different a different session a different um, game mechanic but they just couldn't get into anything but Pathfinder, and so they eventually stopped showing up. Hmm. So can we can we summarize um, to to get into the uh, what what players can do? Can we summarize this bit into the ga- things that the, the game master can do? Is make sure that everybody's having fun, that they are, everybody's having a, a chance to be in the spotlight, and that the players are getting what they need in order to have a good time. Um, what what one more bit of advice would you give to those GM? One one from each of you. Now, Vicky. Uh, well, really, just to reiterate what I'd said earlier, which is as a GM, know your game mastery style and play to that. If you need prep, do what you can to make that prep happen. If you're someone who's impromptu, Make sure you have a handful of ideas that are cohesive and make sense when you're going through it, but go for it. But just make sure you're playing to your personal strength as a GM, because if you do that, you know that that's going to get you, you know, through probably you know, the majority of anything you're dealing with at a, at a table. Jim? 
Um, I think uh, spotlights are more important than game balance. I'm I'm not a big fan of worrying about who has what. I think that you're always going to have a min-maxer who is able to make a character that's twice as efficient as somebody else. So uh, not don't worry about that as a game master. Make sure that everybody's spotlight is interesting. It's either thematically interesting or it's uh, it's polarizing or they at least get to feel powerful for a moment at the thing that they can do. Um, and a lot of that can be fixed at the beginning just by, you know, what's everybody going to play? And when you hear that two people are going to be playing the same kind of thief, tell one of them that you you know, you probably want to play something else or the two of you need to work together. Um, so things like that. Spotlight is much more important than balance. Agreed. Right, so now let's go into what the players can do to keep the game going smooth because I, I feel that more often than not, it, it is the lack of player... Um, I was going to say interaction, but interaction is not the right word. I'm looking for a different word. Cooperation, I suppose, um, and an effort to actually cooperate is, is what grinds an awful lot of games to a halt. So what can players do? Well, for me, I think that as a player, if I'm listening to what's going on and I'm trying to get ideas as I'm hearing something unfold as to what I can do, Anticipating my move really helps move things along as a player. Uh, an example of that would be if you're in the middle of a combat situation and you've got you know, multiple choices as to what you can do. Uh, I sometimes play characters who have magical abilities, but they also have either ranged or melee uh, combat abilities that are independent of their magic. So for me... It, it makes sense that, okay, I know it's not my turn yet. It's not going to be my turn for another you know, another one or two players. So I need to look at what are my options? Where am I in conjunction with the uh, opponent? What can I do? Am I looking at a particular spell? Do I know how that spell works? If I don't, this is the time I should be going through the book real quick and finding that note that, oh yeah, you know, it's been three weeks since I last used the spell, so I don't remember all the details. Let me find it before it's actually, or let me anticipate that I need to move up and who might be in my way if I'm going to move up and actually engage in hand-to-hand -hand combat, for example. So thinking ahead is, you know, like chess, you know, thinking ahead as to what is your next move. So that when it comes your turn, you're able to do it rather than everybody waiting for you to um and ah and flip back and forth through the pages or your notes or whatever you have in front of you to actually take your turn. What about you? I thought you were going to chime in. What's no, your you. advice to players? My advice to players, don't bicker for goodness right. sake. Do not bicker. Just shut up and get on with it. <laughs> That would be the first thing. No, and, and on a more serious note, <coughs> on a more serious note, I, I have two bits of advice for the players. One, know your character sheet. Know where, you, where, where everything is, or at least try to know where everything is. And for goodness sake, if you're going to play a character with a difficult sort of personality, like if it's very grumpy or depressed or something that really makes your character moody and cantankerous or hostile, be careful and do not uh, focus that against the other characters and the other players because then 
it's very irritating and, and makes things come to a stop. You know, for example, in the last group, um, we, my friend Tim has a dwarf, which as every single dwarf that he's ever played is, is selfish, is very, yeah, is, is cantankerous. He, he doesn't want to do anything and is very, very cowardly. So every time that we need to go into combat or every time that we need to explore anything and go anywhere and do anything that could possibly, potentially, maybe, just might be dangerous is a massive, massive struggle. And the first and second time it was fun because he, he role plays very well. But after we have to do that, for goodness sake, we were playing the Rise of the Rune Lords, which is a very combat-heavy adventure. It was good campaign. Well, it's fantastic, absolutely fan bloody tastic. But it was such a pain. Come on, let, let, let's do this. Oh, I, I don't. I'm gonna go in the bag. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. I, I, this is very dangerous. Let's. Let, why don't we just go away and not do it? And, and we all had to look at him and say, well, because the freaking game stops. So if you don't want to play, by all means, just f off. But stop being an asshole. So I have to tell a story about so, so when I was that. You're up by don't be an asshole. Well, yeah, I, mean, I am that kind of lovely person that will tell you in your face you're being an asshole. Stop it. I'm a friend. I, I have to tell a story about when I was that asshole. Oh, well. Um, <laughs> did I'll you take stop? half the... I'll I'll take half the blame and I'll, I'll I'm going to heap the other half on the game master. Okay. Um, we were supposed to sit down and play Earth Dawn, and this is the only time I've ever played Earth Dawn, so my impression of Earth Dawn is very bad. But I understand that the world is rich and has lots of cool flavor, so I'm not bashing Earth Dawn. But my experience it sucked. Everybody had played with this game master before, so they all knew to make combat tank characters, just because all it was going to be was a grind of combat. And I didn't know that. And I'd read up on Earth Dawn and I go, oh, we're going to be exploring. We're going to be helping these cairns open up. We're going to be looking into the world, blah, blah. So I made this fun character that was going to be exploring the world. And we kept getting into these combats with things that didn't make any sense. They were these monstrous horrors. Every single time he described when they were individually cool and awesome, he was a great GM at describing things. But once combat happened, it was just a grind of rolling dice. So I was constantly playing the character that was afraid of these things and running out of combat and leaving. And I'm sure I made the game unfun for most people by doing that, but I really didn't know what I was signing up for. And I, it was a horrible, horrible experience. So from both a player and a GM perspective, the advice I would give is know what you're getting yourself into so you know what kind of character to make or what you're going to be enjoying. Because... There was no way I was going to be able to play that character the way he... I didn't even make somebody that was good at fighting. So it was just a, a stupid experience. Which I suppose it also comes... And this is I'm going back into the GM's responsibility because that's the person who knows what kind of adventure it is. I think it's down to the GM to tell the players, look, this is the sort of characters that will fit within the adventure so this is going to be a very combat heavy adventure so if you're gonna play a diplomat then we're gonna be into trouble so maybe you want to consider a fighting right. diplomat or something like that um i mean that's just an example but i think that that's definitely part of uh, and and, it, and had i chosen 
had I chosen to play a diplomat after finding all that out, that's all on me, right? I'm still choosing to play a diplomat right. even though he okay. said it's going to be all combat. And that's, you know, I, either I have to accept that the combat's not going to be fun or there's not going to be as much for me to do. But I would have that, – that's all on me. But not knowing that and thinking it's going to be a game of exploration when really it's just a game of fighting horrors, it was um, – I didn't have a good time. Right, and one of the things that and I'm sure he'll uh, have it, something equally seen, negative to say about me. One of the things that I've seen GMs do when when that occurs, where someone has a character that they've made that okay, this is just not working very well, campaign that I'm putting in front of these folks, is to offer them the option for a one-time, you know, tweak your character. You know, now that you've got your character together, now that you see what kind of play this is turning out to have here's your one chance to take back something, you know, choose a different skill, choose a different attribute, you know, do something slightly differently or, or even completely restart your character. And so that's something as a GM that could have been offered to you or as a player that, you know, if I were the GM and you were to say, wait, I realize this isn't going to work. You know, can I start over or can I you know, change this character a little that you know, I'd be like, great, players actually asking me questions and, and not just going with it. Yeah, let's do this. So I think that uh, if, as players, if we realize we're not having fun because the kind of character we've got and because we didn't know what to expect, that we can ask our, you know, our folks running the game, hey, can I do something differently? And as a game master, we can offer that to players whose characters clearly are not going to, ha- to work well in what we're presenting. Um, I have to tell another story about my buddy Jeff because this is a perfect example of something he did as a player that was that fits what you, you're describing. And he would he would play a character for three sessions, and then he would get sick of what he had designed, and he would want to retire it and play something else. And everybody else was playing their characters that they'd made from the beginning, and I was always flexible about that kind of stuff. I don't really like the skills I've chosen. Okay, well, you haven't used them yet. Go ahead and change whatever. But Jeff was calling third session getting bored of what he was playing. And we would have to not reset, but kind of reinvent the campaign every three sessions to explain how his old character was leaving and his new character was coming in. And that's that's kind of selfish (laughs) and jerky to everybody, I think. And, you know, to be that fixated on what your character can do and not who your character is that every three sessions you have to find something new, a, a new character that does something different because you're so bored with it or whatever. I don't know. I don't, I don't really understand that thinking, yeah, that's but extreme. you probably shouldn't be doing that. Yeah, that's, that's extreme. I, I, I would definitely have an issue with that as a GM and as a, as a person at the table, who's the player that isn't the one changing. <laughs> I think that's. I think that goes to the the column of what players can do to make the game run smoothly. Don't do what your friend did. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And again, I, I think another piece of advice I would give is um, don't don't create characters that are absolute idealists. Right? Absolute idealists are dicks. They're not fun to talk to. They're not fun to be around. Nobody wants to adventure with that guy. I'm certainly not going to say, and you're in a fix. 
if you've been making my life miserable because my character eats meat or my character doesn't stop at noon every single day to pray to the, your God or that I don't help every single villager because your ideals are different than mine. Idealist characters are characters that have some sort of principle that doesn't allow them to, uh, to, to bend in any way so that they won't, they won't change their mind ever. Oh God, those, those are the worst kind of characters. I don't, I don't even want to be at a table with somebody that thinks that way. Yeah, I want to piggyback off of that. I feel that also works in line with the idea of people having an archetype in mind for a particular character and not not experimenting with having some flexibility in what that archetype can be. An example of that is the paladin. You know, games that have you know, here's a paladin. This is an expectation as to what a paladin is and how a paladin acts and what you know, what really that person as a player should be doing to properly portray that paladin. I, I've played a paladin that I was enjoying, and the GM ruined the experience for me because he kept interpreting things like I. Uh, you know, bartering as being evil and that a paladin wouldn't do that and should be punished by her god you know, by her goddess for having you know bartered because you know that's just you know that's just not right I uh, so it was more than a decade before I played a paladin again after that particular experience when I played a paladin again I played a that was part of a group and happened to be playing in Rise of the Ring Lords I'm um, so played a paladin that was part of a group whose alignment she questioned. And frankly, as a player, I never was quite sure of what some of the other characters' alignments were. Uh, but I didn't play the paladin the way I've seen a lot of other people play paladins. She wasn't you know, so completely rigid in the idea of, you know, ooh, paladin, extinguish evil, that she became a source of you know, problems. Nor was she played in a way that was. She's always uh, preaching her goddesses, you know, edicts. You know, she she was a different kind of paladin than what folks had come to expect. Because every time they played with someone who played a paladin, the paladin was almost always the same. It wouldn't matter who played. The expectation was, you know, stick in the mud has does not see anything in any shades of gray. It's either good or evil. It's either lawful or unlawful. And I didn't choose to play my paladin that way. As a result, people actually had fun playing in the game where I was portraying a paladin, as opposed to feeling like, oh, crap, everything we do, the paladin's going to, you know, want us to do her way. So... Being, being flexible in how you play your character, especially if you are playing an established archetype, I, I feel is something that can be rewarding for the player who's portraying that character. And I think it can also make a game run more smoothly so you're not running into some of the kinds of things that, Jim, you, you mentioned with, you know, kind of the, the behavior of, oh, you know, this is it. Right. So that would be something that as a player that folks can do differently and make the game run more smoothly. And can I just add that paladins don't belong in Dungeons and Dragons at all, um, for the for the sole reason <laughs> that the reward system of Dungeons and Dragons is killing killing creatures that are different than you and taking their stuff. That's the reward system. 
a paladin is antithetical, 100% antithetical to the entire reward system of Dungeons & Dragons. It makes no sense if you are playing the reward system of D&D to have a paladin there. Now, if you can get past that reward system and you create either you create a new one or the players are playing D&D for very different reasons other than to get experience points and better swords and better spells, then by all means, put a paladin into your game. But if your game is about killing monsters and taking their stuff, what is a paladin doing there? Um, Sounds like a whole new podcast. Yeah. <laughs> it looks What's like we're that? getting down to the water on time. So maybe we should talk quickly about uh, any tips or tricks that we have that we use to deal with any bumps that go on during the game as we wrap up for the evening. Call them assholes. <laughs> I think the very first thing I it said is like don't, you don't talk at the table. You don't call them out. Yeah, that's a perfect solution. You asshole, go. Yeah, shut up, asshole, like that. <laughs> okay, we're going to put that on a t-shirt. <laughs> One of the tricks that I use, or really not so much a trick, but a tip, is that if I do find that something's going on where the game's bogging down, uh, because that's where I see sometimes something is no longer smooth, is that it's bogging down. Uh, if I'm the... I tend to throw them a bone. Uh, if they're stuck on something, give, give them uh, something reasonable that will help them get in the right direction. You know, it can be suddenly an NPC comes to the door and you know they've been sent by the Lord. Or it could be that suddenly... You make uh, one of the players roll a, a, some sort of stat that makes sense for what you're going to have them do, and hey, if they're successful, they actually remember something that you know, that the player, you know, something the player forgot, that will help them uh, go in the right direction. If it's something that's uh, more of the uh, more of the not quite the game, you know, whether it's something. Uh, it, getting stuck on a rule and trying to figure out. A, you know how does this actually work? If it's not, if the outcome isn't going to kill the game, let people know. Okay, we will come back to that after the game is over, uh, and we'll look up how it really works. And if I need to, I'll revise how something happened. But for right now, I'm going to make a judgment call because you know we're game masters. That's what we do. Uh, I'm going to make a judgment call to the best of my ability with the rules that are in my head, and we're going to go. And We'll come back to that when the session's over and go from there. So those are some things that I've done to help the game continue to move on when it starts getting bogged down a bit, either you know, because folks are stumped or folks are you know, so concerned with the rules that they're no longer actually playing the game. They're looking up you know, things for you know, 10 minutes for rules. So you gents have a tip, trick, or other sage advice for keeping the game running smoothly when you come to a bump in it. Uh, yes. Shut up and keep going. <laughs> no, seriously. Is uh, that the end of the podcast? <laughs> no, no, no. But no in, a, in, a, in a more serious matter, in a, in a more serious way, um, it, it, it can come down to that. If you are unhappy about something, get over it and discuss it after do not stop the game just because you're unhappy. Do not bicker and, and make everybody just stop having fun just because you dislike something. Just keep in mind that this is a game. It's not your life. Even though you love to be able to, you know, throw fireballs at your boss or whatever. 
this is not real life. So just let it go and, and talk about it later. And people will be happy to discuss it with you. Do not stop the game just because something you dislike has happened. Jim. What about you, Jim? Um, I think I think that there are too many people that approach gaming as a binary problem-solving function, and the world is not binary. And I think that those people, either you know, because of, that's just how their brains are wired or whatever, I think that those people tend to think that human relationships and interactions are also binary, and they're not. And I I think that. Eventually, you have to learn. I think if you're a kid with Asperger's, you eventually have to learn how to interact with humans, even though that's difficult for you. I think if you want to be a role-playing gamer and you want to sit at a table and role-play, I'm using the word role-play here. This is critical. If you're a board gamer, you want. I don't care what kind of personality you have because we're probably not talking to each other anyway if we're playing a Euro but if we're playing a role-playing game, it is a social activity. And if you think that social activities are binary, you are you are in the wrong hobby. So I think I won't. Oh, also shut up. Exactly. I was, I was just about <laughs> to say that. Just shut up, Jim. We need to finish this podcast. And before we finish this podcast, um, actually, I, I want to give a shout-out um, because somebody I am... Um, very, very fond of, although I don't know the man, I only know him through through Facebook and, and a few emails that we have um, swapped and, and interacted. But I'm very fond of him because he's completely wacky, he's really, really weird, but he is just as generous as he is an absolutely fantastic game designer. And I am going to butcher his surname because I don't know how to pronounce it. But I think he's called Robert Schroep. Jim, you know the man very well. You've, you've even shared drinks with him. Yes. How do you pronounce his name? Yes, it's Robert Schwab. That's his name. Wow. Schwab. I'm good. Well, anyway, he is yeah. now on Kickstarter with his very own game, um, something to do with a demon lord, which just the fact that he has a demon and a lord in the game itself is, is big enough for me to actually back the game on the highest level I could possibly afford um, because it looks absolutely amazing. And I think that every single human being or otherwise, who listens to this podcast should be going on to Kickstarter uh, and seriously, guys, back Shadow of the Demon Lord because it's it's fantastic. But Jim, you know the man. What can you tell us about him to, to actually wet our whistle that we will want to um, back this, this this project? Robert and I talked about the, the game a while back and he was walking me through some of the logic as to why he designed certain elements into the game. And a lot of it is just genius. It was, first of all, he spent a lot of time working on third, fourth, and fifth edition D&D. So he knows the things that he doesn't like and does like about Dungeons & Dragons. Um, and to take the logic of how gamers play now versus how they used to play, and that's really what, um, that's really what makes the game so good, Shadow of the Demon Lord, is that he's applying how people play to how, how the mechanics function. So you won't be playing a 30-month campaign in this thing to, in level, right? You'll be 11th level at the 11th session, period, boom. Um, so that kind of logic is – he follows that through on, on every element of design. I think it's really smart. 
I, I would expect nothing coming out from, from the guy who's, I mean, he's, he's participated in so many um, absolutely amazing role-playing games that his pedigree is absolutely and utterly unquestionable. So I, I would expect that yeah. option, nothing else. And, and um, it's looking absolutely gorgeous. I mean, the illustrations that have been shown so far, they are up there with the best. Absolutely beautiful, beautiful artwork. So it, this, this thing should be uh, an absolute beauty when it's over. So, so there you go, listeners. Please, 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 please go out there, Shadow of the Demon Lord, and have a go. Take, take a look at it, because I think you're going to be as impressed as we have been, and, and Rob deserves every little bit of help he can get. So th- there you go. Um, this is it from me, as usual. I am Paco Garcia, and I endeavor to come back soon, sooner than usual, or at the very least, as soon as possible, with more role-playing game goodness. Are you two going to say goodbye? I'm Vicky Beaver. Shut up. And, well, I'll be back as possible, too. <laughs> Did you just tell Vicky to shut up? <laughs> no, I was telling you to shut up. I already had shut up. You're going to tell me to shut up if I've already shut up. That doesn't count. <laughs> You're still talking. No. <laughs> This is the worst ending to a podcast ever. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Production for this podcast has been by Paco Garcia and the music's been composed by Kev Adzet. We would love to hear from you. Feedback and your questions are always welcome and you can email us at podcast at gmsmagazine.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at gmsmagazine. And we are also on Facebook and Google+. I'm very, very happy to talk to you. Remember to subscribe to the GMS Magazine podcast channels in iTunes and give us a review or two and a rating, please, and it's truly appreciated if you do. For more quality shows, remember to listen to other rooms like the RPG Room, the Interview Room and the Board Game Room and more rooms that might be coming very soon indeed. But, friends, until the next time, the game's coming.